This episode is powered by denmeditation.com with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. Though meditation is the primary focus, the bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Welcome to Den Talks. I'm Tal, and today we have an amazing guest with us here. We get the magical Sahara Rose. She's the best-selling author of The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, and she went on her own complicated journey, which she talked a lot about, with nutrition and spirituality, and then she finally found her answers in Ayurveda. And what she's known for is she's kind of challenged this old practice and modernized it and brought it to the world so that it's accessible and easy for all of us. If you already know about Ayurveda, you're going to love this episode. You get to know more about her personal journey into it, what it means, and just like how she relates it to spirituality and how it affects your entire life. If you know nothing about it, this is such a great entry point and you're going to learn so much. Plus, she's just a fascinating and amazingly inspirational person to talk to. And we are so lucky to have her. Deepak Chopra has written forwards to both her books, the one that already came out, The Idiot's Guide, and the one that is coming out in October, which is an Ayurvedic cookbook. And it's called Eat feel fresh. We're doing a giveaway, which I'll talk about in a second, but you should also know she has an amazing podcast called Highest Self. It is top rated in spirituality and self-help, and you should absolutely check it out. So giveaway, we're giving away three books. They're amazing. Before they even come out, eat, feel fresh. We give it to you. All you have to do is give us a review, send us a screenshot, send it to dentalkspodcast at denmeditation.com for your chance to win. sitting in front of Sahara Rose, and she is the best-selling author of Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, which is an amazing book because you make it so, so simple and digestible. No pun intended, or pun intended. Um, And she also has a cookbook coming out, Eat, Feel Fresh, and the forward is written by Deepak Chopra. We've already been chatting so much, and I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like you've done everyone such a service bringing something that I feel like could be really complicated and making it super simple. And I want, if you can do like the shortest overview on what Ayurveda is for people who don't have any clue, and then we'll dive into it much more later. And there's so many things I want to talk to you, but just like the shortest, shortest little, like, what is it? Oh yes. Well, thank you so much for having me here again. I'm so honored. So Ayurveda is the world's oldest health system, the sister science of yoga based on mind body balance. Amazing. And for a lot of people, they, you know, I think I feel like I've seen it in so many ways. Like we've talked about nutrition a lot there, you know, you have that cookbook coming out. I see it when I've gotten facials or massages. So it really is all encompassing Mm -hmm. and there's a way and in the broad stream, it's like you're broken down by like quote unquote personality type. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know that's a bad way of saying it, but Mm -hmm. which are called doshas. Mm -hmm. Right. So before, how did you even find it? And then we're going to get into all those details for those of you who don't really know much about it. And for those of you who do know a lot about it, we're going to get into way more details about how it affects your spirituality and who you are and what you should eat. But for now, I want to talk about you. Like, how did you even find it? Is this like something you ever expected to be doing? No, I had no idea what it was growing up at all. So I grew up, my parents were immigrants from Iran. They never taught me English. They threw me in school. We were just talking (laughs) about how I grew up in Boston, very like You're saying it's a pretty white white place to grow up. And then I remember it was like my first day of kindergarten. My mom packs me this like herbal stew and it's this thing called gourmisabzi in, in Farsi and it's like stew with kidney beans and all these like herbs and then like a cucumber like wrapped up in tin foil and like a carton of like soy milk and then because that's what I would eat at home. How long were your parents in Boston at this point? Um, like were they, they were, but when did they like? My mom like a year before Got she it. had. So like, this is yeah. why she couldn't even, she wouldn't understand a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. No, and face. also right. like they were practicing, like I didn't know it was called like Ayurveda, but it was the exact same, same things. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, the Persian empire ruled Northern India. So all of Northern Indian culture comes from Persian. So we were practicing this my whole life. I just didn't know it was called that. So she packs me the stew. I like open it up <laughs> and all the kids point at me. They're like, oh, what are you eating? This is poop stew. And I'm Ugh. like, oh my God. Like, I don't even know what, how to speak English, but I understand poop is a bad word. And they're, they're laughing at me. So you're at school. How old are you? Like 
five, first day of kindergarten. And you don't even know how to speak English. Yeah, don't know. <laughs> oh, God, it's so brutal. Yeah. And you're, like, already making, like, I'm, like, wearing, already- like, 80s, like, leggings. And, like, <laughs> it looked like a total fob. Like, and then I'm eating this, and they're laughing at me. So I know that I don't look like them. My name doesn't sound like them. I have different color skin. But one thing I can do is eat like them. So I remember I came home after school. I was like, Mom, I'm never trusting you again. From now on, I'm only eating these foods. And there are Lunchables and Kool-Aid and Doritos and, like, the things that I would see other kids eating. What was her response? Was it— like, I mean, I, okay. Did she feel bad for you? Or was she like, oh my God, no way. She's like, these foods are really bad for you. They have sugar. And I was like, I don't care. I mean, at this, like, no one cares what sugar is when you're like five years Did old. Did she see how painful it was for you? Like, was this like a couple of weeks at least happening? Could she see what it was doing to you? Um, I was not, I didn't really talk so much about it. I was just more like, I'm, I'm not going to eat like this. Right. Yeah, more angry, not like. I feel hurt because of it. You weren't you know? coming home crying. She didn't see that part. I was, I was more just like, like, how dare you bring me this food? This is not what people eat here. How could you have not have known better? So I remember going to the supermarket and I'm like, okay, these are the foods that I'm going to eat. And I remember writing out a food list. I started writing when I was a year and a half years old. So and that's crazy. I, yeah. So I like wrote I have out a two and a half year old. It ain't happening. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote out this list. I pinned it on our, on our um, like board. And I'm like, these are my foods from now on. It's like hot dogs, mac and cheese, et cetera. And then the kids stopped making fun of me about food at least. And I started to drink the cool and, you know, getting addicted. So passing over through years, I became really overweight. I got really bad asthma, really bad allergies. I stopped going outside because I couldn't exercise. I'd be out of breath all the time. I mean, you talked about just the extreme. I mean, your allergies were so bad. It's like you couldn't be outside in certain times because you you would totally swell up. Exactly. It's like you would react just by physically being outside, not even touching something. Exactly. So you went from being an outcast finally maybe making some friends and not even being able to interact with them. Right. Yeah. Like so once I mean, again, becoming an outcast. Yeah. Not even making the friends more just like, well, at least I'm not being made fun of. So I'm good. But then the allergies and the asthma got so bad. So again, I thought that this was just like, I was born with asthma. Like this just happens. Now, how old are you about at this point now? Like how many years are we talking? So this just continued all throughout my elementary school. Then when I got in middle school, I wanted to lose weight just because I was self-conscious about how I looked. So I mean, I know this is such a dumb question, but Mm -hmm. it is hard when you're at that age and you don't really have friends. Like you don't Mm -hmm. fully understand it or process it. But like, do you remember that feeling of like going to school every day? Was it miserable? Mm, I was just really shy. I just wouldn't talk to anyone. So it didn't like, I remember my mom would be like, so who'd you play with today? I'm like, my shadow. <laughs> and like, yeah. And like, I have this Valentine's card that I wrote to my parents. I was like, again, like five years old. And it just says, I'm not who you think I am. Oh, you were always yeah. like a writer and dramatic. <laughs> so I love like, it. You're like, okay, thanks. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> but I mean, it's interesting because you played by yourself a lot. Yeah. And I just made, and I, and I still to say, I love being by myself and I would make stories and this, and I would, and I would write all the time. If you describe yourself now, would you describe yourself as an introvert or someone shy? Or would you describe, like, how would you describe yourself today? Yeah, I would say an extroverted introvert. Like, I'm obviously can speak publicly. That's what I do. Right. Um, But where I fuel up is definitely being alone. Now, if you... At that age, mm-hmm. did you label yourself as shy? Like, did you kind of? For sure, yeah. yeah. So that's like kind of, you're like, no, I'm shy. This is why I don't. Exactly, it's yeah. It's interesting, right? Exactly. So, yeah. So, and I remember, I mean, I just recorded about this, but I would do all these rituals too. Like, I was like super into witchcraft and I would like get all these like spell How did you books. even, I mean, I love it. You're in Boston. So like. Salem <laughs> right, was Salem, nearby. Right, so I remember we like went to Salem for a field trip. I'm like, these are my people. Is that true? Did you actually feel like a legitimate connection? Though? Oh, yeah. I would like literally like then I had these like three friends that we all like thought we were witches or we were witches and we would just do all these like rituals to the north south east west and like sit and ceremony and we didn't know what we were doing but it was just coming through did anything happen like at that age like while you were doing these rituals did you feel like I remember we used to do the Ouija board a lot like outside and we're still never convinced who was pushing it or not pushing it and every once in a while an answer would come we can't tell if someone was fucking with someone else but like did anything did you feel any energies did anything happen or was it for sure I would see ghosts and spirits and communicate with them and I would tell my parents I'm like oh your dad's in the and and they were just like you're crazy and then I but I would also get (laughs) like siblings by the way I had a brother and I would like scare him all the time so I would be like the ghosts are here now was your brother like very different than you? Like were your parents like, oh, thank God for him kind of thing? Yeah, he was like not. <laughs> He's our chance. He's our one shot. Yeah, exactly. So 
Yeah. So middle school, I read in Cosmo magazine, Jennifer Aniston did hot yoga and that's how she looks so good on Friends. I was like, okay, I'm willing to do anything to look like Rachel on Friends. I'll do hot yoga. And I don't know what yoga even is, but I see that every day when I'm driving around Newton, um, there's a hot yoga studio. So I asked my mom to drop me off there after school. I'm wearing like sweatpants and a sweatshirt. It's like a it wasn't Bikram yoga. It was called Prana Power Yoga. And I go in there and um, everyone's doing some like dance choreography. Like I don't really understand what's happening, but for the first time I feel in touch with my body and I'm not trying to escape from it or be mad at it, you know, because when you're a kid, they're like run a mile in under 12 minutes to like pass the fourth grade or like, like do I this obstacle Because you were heavy at this point, For right? sure, right. yeah. And I would like skip school on the days there was like physical activity. Because oh I, you know, test, sure. Physical activity, no. But this was the first time I felt connected to my body and I was just sweating and crying and just, you know, releasing so much. And that was amazing major pivoting point to me and I was 12. And from there I started practicing yoga and I started to read books from Deepak Chopra and from Yogananda. So now how amazing, I mean, just to bring this full circle for people like Deepak has now written the foreword to her book that's coming out in October, Yes, has literally given you critical acclaim. How that must be surreal for you. It's crazy. I mean, if he was literally, it sounds like what you're saying, he was part of the beginning of your journey, not just someone you discovered on it. Oh, absolutely. He's like part of what helped you start looking at the world differently and looking Absolutely. at yourself differently. Mm -hmm. That's an amazing gift. Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember I chills, like even thinking about it. Yeah. I remember like later on, like this is flash forward, like when I was like graduated from college and was like going through like a lot of like just tribulations with my family of like not understanding my path. I was like, one day I'm going to be with people like Deepak Chopra and you'll understand they're like, you're crazy. And you are. Yeah. So wow. it's like truly whatever you're, it's in your mind, this like crazy idea that you have, it's in your mind for a reason. Like there's no, there's no coincidences at all. That is amazing. And so you started doing yoga, you started getting in touch with yourself, you started reading, but it's interesting. So yoga really did actually start making you look at the world differently. Absolutely. It wasn't even just about like, yeah, I'm finally looking like Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, but which never happened, of, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they don't really tell you that yeah. in a small print. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, and you actually started like, it, your mind started expanding. Yes, absolutely. And so your soul, really. Exactly. So I started to travel. I went for my first like NGO trip when I was 15. I lived in a prison in Costa Rica, taking care of the kids, went to Nicaragua, Vietnam. So funny, my first like, community service trip was Costa Rica. Costa Rica. I feel I was, like it's a good when I was country. 15 or 16. But by the way, I'm much older than you. Yeah. So it was early. Like nobody was going. It was like 92 maybe. Totally. I mean, there was like one hotel in San Jose and that was it. It was the most amazing trip. Mm -hmm. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. And that changed my whole point of view on the world. Exactly. Too. Yeah. So started to travel more and, um, went to school. I went to George Washington University trying to become an international human rights lawyer. I really thought that was my path. Now, at this point, too, you've now, your diet has changed. Like, you've yeah. let go of some of the crap and the mac and cheese and the Lunchables and all yes. that stuff. Your yoga is now fully incorporated into your daily life. Mm -hmm. And you're now, like, reading and you're experiencing more on a spiritual level. Yeah. So you're, like, starting. Your path is, like, starting. Yeah. So I was 15 when I became vegan. And then— Why did you become vegan? Just every every sign that I looked at, all of like about consciousness and spirituality and this and that, and then like I just never liked butter. I never liked to drink milk. Like so, letting go of dairy was something that just came naturally to me. Also with allergies and asthma, that dairy attributes to mucus. So um, started that path. Eventually became a raw vegan, uh, which is to only eat raw fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds. And then that's when my health started to go down again, but on the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. That's right, because you got too skinny and sick, right? Exactly. So I was doing volunteer work in India outside of Delhi teaching um, health and sanitation in the slums. I was raw vegan the whole time living in India, which is like unheard of. Um, and during this time, I started to notice I would get dizzy. Oftentimes, my skin would get dry, my mouth, my eyes. I would, you know, just feel cold, like we were just talking about feeling cold, but like such a level of cold that I and like couldn't sleep. Yeah, to the bones, just like shivering that like nothing could keep me warm. And I would exercise and sometimes even faint. And I stopped getting my period. I was on birth control, got off of it, didn't get my period for one year, two years, no period at all. And I wasn't looking healthy. I had lost so much weight that I was like, people were like, are you okay? Like you look sick. And at first I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> oh, um, God to be a woman. <laughs> yeah. 
but it, it wasn't, it wasn't that kind of thing. Right, so, you right, know, right. It, yeah, it, it was, it was too much. And so while, while I was in India, I had, I had tried everything. I had gone to so many endocrinologists, gastroenterologists, in so India. many, no, bef- before in oh, Boston, right. just to try to get to the root. I couldn't digest food. I had, they said, I have IBSC. I have amenorrhea. I have this, I have anxiety. I have insomnia, all these different pills. Don't you find like digestion and pain with digestion is one of the hardest things to diagnose. For sure. I feel like so many people, because it is so connected, which I know you're going to talk more about, Mm -hmm. it is so connected to like your mind and how you're feeling and what you're going through Mm -hmm. that it is undiagnosable, but yet you're literally like doubled over in pain or you're losing weight. And it's fascinating. I just find so many people have quote unquote issues and you don't even know where to start. And you get like, like you said, you just get diagnosed left and right and everyone takes on different habits and they're not always necessarily the ones you need. Absolutely. Yes. I think IBS is sort of the blanket term they use of like, okay, something's wrong with you. We don't know what. So yeah, here's this pill, which makes you worse. So, um, and then again, I had no idea that all of these things were interconnected. So because I had tried everything, I decided to go to the Ayurvedic doctor in India. I had heard of Ayurveda like you, wasn't really sure what it was. I thought it was kind of this like astrological psychic thing. Right. I was like, okay, whatever. Let's see what she has to say. And instantly she's like, Beta, you're too pretty to never have a baby. I was like, huh? And she knew that at that point, so turns out I had gone through menopause when I was 21 years old. Oh my so my body's hormones were at zero. Like I got a blood test. I had zero estrogen, zero testosterone, zero progression. Like you like pushed your body to just, that limit. Yeah, nothing at all. And I was at stage of Alzheimer's and osteoporosis. You just aged yourself. Exactly. So, and I want to get into all this because I know this is kind of where you started turning to Ayurveda and actually mm-hmm. rejecting it, but then accepting it. Yeah. But It's so interesting because it feels like, and look, obviously you were someone who had a weird, not weird, that's not a fair word, but like an interesting relationship with food, Mm -hmm. you know, for it, it defined kind of like how you looked at yourself and how you were accepted Mm -hmm. from the time you were a child. So it always meant something to you because I find it interesting that you've always searched for like a specific, like you've searched for a diet. Like Mm -hmm. it's never just been like, I'm just going to eat. Like it's always been, I'm going to be a vegan. I'm going to be a raw vegan. Now I'm going to be a this, I'm going to be a that. That's so interesting. Like, do you feel like you needed parameters around something in order to like understand what you were putting in your mouth, even if it was negative? Yeah, definitely. I think the whole reason why we control eating is because we're unable to control other aspects of our life and food becomes the one thing that you have control over. Like, okay, I can't control you kids making fun of me, but I can control what I eat. Oh, I can't control not knowing what I'm going to do with my life but I can become a raw vegan. So it just gives us this like instant gratification of like, okay, let me obsess over this because I don't have any of my shit figured out. So it's interesting. Now you obsessed over it to a point you're actually in really poor health. For sure. And so this woman says after that, she's like, you're not going to have children. You went through menopause. You're like early Alzheimer's. Right. So I was obviously shocked because I thought that I was like the healthiest person. I had already been blogging, raw vegan blog at that time, like very much part of that community. So I was like, okay, well, what do I do about it? She's like, well, you have to eat the ghee and the dal and the kitchari and all these like spices and herbs that I had never heard of. And I was like, "Mm, I'm a vegan. This isn't going to work out. So again, put Ayurveda on the back and went, tried to be paleo, SIBO diet, GAPS diet, autoimmune protocol. Like you you went to another diet. Exactly. Again, trying to search for something and still like nothing was working or I would do it for a week. I couldn't stick to it. So I'm like, okay, well, let me just see these guidelines that she said for the imbalance I have, Vata, but do it in my own way. So maybe instead of ghee, I'll use coconut oil. And maybe instead of all of these spices, I'll just make it more simple. Use one of the spices and, you know, add sweet potatoes, add avocado, add things that they don't have in like India, especially in ancient India. And immediately I start to feel better, not just in my body, but also in my mind. And I didn't even know when you're anxious, you don't know that that's not normal. That's just how you've operated your whole life. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I'm not worrying about something right now. Were you an anxious person? Oh, for sure. Yeah. How did that manifest for you? For me, it was like always... And this is just how I am as a Vata, always in the future. Like something Mm -hmm. can, I can wake up, now it's time for me to go to my Pilates class and the Pilates class, but I have to walk the dog after. Always thinking the next, the next. list. Yeah, and then it's like never fully being present in the moment. And then also feeling like if I don't know like the long-term outcome, especially at this point, it was like with my career because I thought I was going to be this human rights lawyer, worked in NGOs, didn't like it, had all these health issues. So I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing right now. So it kind of, I mean, it was the universe assigning me to heal myself 
yourself, you can't heal others until you heal yourself. So started to practice the Ayurvedic things in my own modernized and plant-based way and felt better physically and mentally. So I was like, okay, there's a lot to this. So signed up for Ayurveda school. And as soon as I started, I received the download that I need to write a book about this. And again, I didn't know anything about writing a book. I never met an author. But it's funny because you said you learned how to write when you were a year and a half, which is insane for people who don't have kids and don't realize that timeline. You always had really poignant, specific things to say from when you were a kid. Yes. You were very internal, which is like usually writer, you know, you're learning how to process your thoughts. Yeah. And then you were randomly brought back to how you were really raised with food in the first place. Right. So it's interesting. Like it definitely feels like there's this magic hand that's just been like, Oh, for sure. Pushing you. you need to learn this lesson now. Let's, yeah. let's experience like kapha, now vata, now pitta, like just so I can like really sit with you and whatever you have going on. Like I've actually been there. So, um, so I started to just write and write and you know, I thought it's going to be a 50 page ebook, hundred pages, 500 pages, thousand oh pages, 2000 pages of material I had written. Like, taking all of Ayurvedic concepts, but modernizing them and obsessed with looking at studies that we could find that would prove these like ancient just kind of facts. So I was like constantly just like putting this together and I couldn't even think of anything else. I was like just obsessed with so learning about what about this. Ayurveda was attractive to you? Besides mm-hmm. the fact that you were like at your wits end and this woman said you need this. What about it resonated to the point that even though you're like, I don't want to do that, you kept going back to it? I think it was how bio-individual it is. So before it was like- Explain what that means. So it means to really eat the foods and live the lifestyle practices for your unique body, your bio, your bio, biology and individuality, bio individuality. So before it was like, everyone should be paleo. Everyone should be vegan. Everyone should be this. Everyone should be that. But it was the only system I had heard of that was like, had a personality quiz, which was also like attractive to me because I've always also loved the personality quizzes. So it was specific for the body, but it also related to the mind. And I've also loved like psychology and things like that. I was like, whoa, this is like all my health interests, all my psychology interests merged into one and it's related to yoga and I'm living in India. So it's like, okay, this is again, no coincidence. I need to study this. Um, So I spent two years in India just learning about Ayurveda, living Ayurveda, living in doctors, going down south, finding gurus, doing anything I could to just like suck in this information. Amazing. Yeah. And so you, what is amazing is not only did you suck it in, it's like you were here for the sheer purpose of like, this is incredible. It's this ancient wisdom, but how do we make it today? There's different, like you said, there's around the world, if we're going to spread around the world and not just make it India, like there's different foods, there's different vegetables, there's different ways people eat, there's different outside influences. Mm -hmm. So was, did that just get you super excited, like looking at it that way? For sure. I mean, I see myself like right now when you were just saying that, I'm like, I saw like a boomerang and it was like, it's like coming to me and then like, okay, here's how it can work for these people. And then I process it out. So even if like the way I talk about the doshas, I have like on my Instagram, like shit vata say, shit pitta say, shit kapha say, like vata af, like common today's language that makes sense. And people are like, oh my God, I I would have never learned about Ayurveda if you didn't put it in this language. So I'm all about, you know, like why, why is yoga popular now? Because they had to make it work for today's people. Why is meditation had to work for today's people? And I think Ayurveda is the sister science of all of these things. Do you get purists angry at you ever? For sure. I mean, I do too. I do. On the meditation side. So that's why I'm... I do, but you know, the ones who get angry at me are actually not the ones who know much about Ayurveda. They're the ones who've like, took one class. Yeah. They like took one class and they're like, Ayurveda must look like ghee and rice and you can't change it. But the ones who really know about it, like Deepak Chopra and like his, his Ayurvedic doctor who also wrote quotes for my book, Dr. Suhas Kashir Sagar and Dr. Dwi Lard and like, like Dr. Hyman, like all these people who really know a lot about it. They're like, yes, this is how it's going to survive. That's incredible. I mean, and by the way, I think that's what people with anything Mm -hmm. as things evolve, they don't, people get so tight on hanging on to something they don't realize. And we're all of, I mean, as humans, we evolve every day. You're not the same as you were when you were five. So if you want to take these amazing concepts that can help people, you, we all have to figure out ways to evolve them together. Exactly. You stay with the purity of what its intention is, which you've done, but you make it accessible. Otherwise, like you said, it was so hard to do. For sure. And above Ayurveda, I don't care if anyone practices Ayurveda or not. It's all about connecting with your own intuition and and not just eating intuitively, but seeing food as really a resource to bring you to your highest self. So let's talk about that, the connection of nutrition and spirituality. Mm -hmm. How do you see those two intersect? Yeah. So, I mean, we all hear like, you are what you eat. Um, But literally, 
everything that you digest. And again, in Ayurveda, only one fifth of Ayurveda is food related. You know, we digest thoughts, emotions, situations, environments, every person we come across, pollutants. Ayurveda encompasses all of that. So what brought me and a lot of people in is like the nutrition, the digestion. You're like, oh my God, this is just like the tip of the iceberg. So um, I think for a lot of people, wait, what was your initial question? Well, it was nutrition, but we could talk about Ayurveda Oh, nutrition general, and spirituality. spirituality. Yes. yes. So in Ayurveda, the doshas, the word dosha means energy types, but we can talk about them again from like the most physical basis of like what organs it connects to. So let's go to the three doshas. Yeah. What are they? Yes. So the three doshas are vata, pitta, and kapha. So they're comprised of the five elements. So vata is a mixture of ether, which is space and air. Pitta is fire and water. Kapha is earth and water. But to make it simple, I like to think vata, wind. Think about wind-like qualities, okay? Pitta, think fire. And kapha, think earth. And why I say this is because it's like two-thirds of that quality, so it's just easier to, to call it that. Right. So pit, vata, wind, pitta, fire, kapha, earth. And what you're saying is these three things aren't just for you to get your what you should be eating. Right. It's every, it affects you in every realm of your life. Exactly. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I find that so fascinating. Yeah. So if I was like, Hey, Tal, I have this friend who's really airy. What do you think that person's like? About to. Like, describe oh, the personality. Oh. An air, a little airy. I would think kind of move, like moves with the wind, probably can jump from one thing to another pretty freely, N- doesn't have a heavy energy to them, probably easy to be around, but maybe not always a person you're going to like get in it with. Mm-hmm. Totally. How am I doing? <laughs> totally. Now, if I was like, I feel like I have a lot of air in my digestion, what's that like? Oh, like bloated gassy. Oh God, I've been there. Yes. (laughs) So that's Vata right there. There you have Vata. We say the same words, airy, fairy, space head, air head. Like we have these terminologies in our language. We're just not realizing it. So the good, there's, you know, shadow sides and light sides of everything in life. So the light side of a Vata is they're creative. They're artistic. They are visionaries. They have strong imaginations. They tend to see things from a bird's eye perspective. So people are kind of like, okay, what's next? What's next? And the Vata is like kind of looking at things up from above. So that can make them very spiritually connected to source and just, yeah, overall, like the eccentric artist of society. Wow. But the other side is all of these thoughts and ideas can turn into a tornado and that manifests as anxiety and insomnia and confusion, forgetfulness, being flaky. This is just, you know, how these people are designed, but it doesn't always have to go that way. You can bring it into balance with the other two doshas, but that's why a good example is Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, imagine he saw this entire world where we had these screens that did everything for us and really way past his time. We also know he was a meditator. We also know he was a raw vegan. He named Apple after the apple. We can see he has a very Vata body. He's tall. He's lean. He has a long, almost caved in face. He also has a Vata imbalance, which we can see in the movies about him. He was erratic and he was hard to work with. And he was like, one side, he's a good father, then he's not a good father, and you couldn't depend on him. And also, he would have people do the stuff because he knew, I can think of the ideas, but, but I can't really. execute. Exactly. So that's a perfect example of like what a vata can look like. Okay, let's do the other two. This is so great. Yeah. So Pitta, if I was like, ooh, I know this girl, she's really fiery. What is she like? Probably sarcastic, um, probably like really fun to be with though. <laughs> like the life of the party can moves quickly, probably talks very fast um, and strong. It could also be very biting. Mm, exactly. And if I was like, I feel like I have a lot of fire in my digestion. Like diarrhea. <laughs> That's what I go to. Yeah, exactly. So that's pitta right there. You just named it. So the light side of that, of a pitta, is they're goal-oriented. They are ambitious. They are hardworking. They are structured. They're not wishy-washy. They say they're going to be there at 5. They're going to be there at 4.58 waiting for you. Like, that's how organized they are. They're the type of people that if you're going to hang out with them, they send you, like, a Google Cal. Right. They're like, <laughs> um, September 28th at 4.12 to 5.14. Okay, please confirm. 24 hours before. Are we still on? You know? Like, that's how scheduled. Oh, I have a lot of pitta friends. Yeah. <laughs> you, you see they're just scheduled of the day and it's like color corded and yeah. it's like 15 minute walk break and like you know they're the type my, my fiance super pitta and like he needs to like not meditate or like do tm and have it twice a day at these specific times like they need that structure, structure. yeah that's just how they are so 
that makes them great CEOs and lawyers and athletes and a lot of times like politicians and public figures. They oftentimes are great speakers. So we had, you had Shaman Derek here, very, very pitta. They know what they want. They're going to say it. They're the type of people when you interview them, they say their point, they step back. Right. You know? Yeah, they know they nailed it. <laughs> it's done. Next question. You yeah. know, that's very pitta energy. And we do see this more in the masculine. We've called these terms masculine, but it's not necessarily. And if I were to relate them to the goddesses, I would say it's Durga energy. You know, Durga is the warrioress. She's the mother. She has the lion. She slays demons. You don't mess with Durga. Whereas Vata is the more Saraswati energy, which is creative, literature, music, flowing. But the shadow side of Saraswati was she wasn't like the good wife for Vishnu and he what he felt like she didn't cook and clean blah 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 so you know when you, you see these goddesses they also reflect on the doshas right and what's the shadow side of a pizza yeah so have you ever had a friend who sent you google cal and you canceled on them but you forgot to like give them a 24-hour notification Oh, and then they're just pissed. They're pissed. And, you know, it manifests as anger. When all that heat turns into a volcano, you erupt. So feeling angry, just impatient, agitated, annoyed, frustrated, on edge. These are all feelings of fire trying to escape our system. We literally feel hot-headed, right? We feel heat rising through our body, you know? Like in a cartoon, there's like an angry person. There's fire coming out of him. Like we, we see it and we feel it. Then in the digestion, so in Ayurveda, we call our digestive system an agni, which literally means internal fire. So if you have a lot of pizza and there's a lot of fire in you, you're going to feel acidic. Too much, too much acid going on, which leads to heartburn. Again, your heart is burning, yep. hyperacidity. And it tries, you know, heat always moves up. So it tries to leave your body. It shows up as acne, rosacea, skin, um, just irritations. And any type of inflammation in the body is also pitta related. That's so interesting. And then what about, which one are we missing? Kapha. Kapha. Yeah. So if I was like tall, I know this <laughs> friend who's just really earthy. Grounded. Um, probably doesn't, for some reason, I feel like doesn't talk too much. Like talks when important. Um, likes to be outside. Likes to experience nature. Um and probably doesn't dress up too much. I mean, not, I don't mean that negative way, like probably just more in touch with like their looks doesn't have to like cover it up so much. Just a little more natural is probably Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Natural. That was an easy word. Um, yeah. So if I came into this interview, mm, the whole time I talked like this, Ah, uh, right. <laughs> <slightly> uncomfortable, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm sure you felt that. And we all have had people, and it's like you either love it, and you're like, "Oh, that feels so good to be around," or, you or you're like, like "Shit, things it. moving." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there are the type of people who a little slow hug you for a long time, heart to heart, and stare in your eyes for seven minutes. And again, this is the exaggerated I know those LA, people. LA version. But by the way, I know, yeah. <laughs> just described someone I know very well. Yes. So you know they're they're. They love to connect with the earth and earth with no shoes and walk on the soil and get the negative ions of the earth. And they're always like, you know, sunbathing, this, that, very connected again to earth's energy. They tend to talk more slow, deliberate, luxurious, peaceful. They tend to move slower through life. They're very loyal. They hold on to friends for a really long time. They may live in the same place for their whole life. They may work at a job they don't really like because they don't really feel like changing it. But they are givers. They have that grandmother energy. Mm. If you think about the earth, we take, take, take. Yes. And the earth continues to give. So Oprah is a really good example of a kapha. So she's like, you get a car, you get a car. Everyone gets a car. She's always giving. giving. What we know her for is for how empathetically she listens. And she's not you should do this with your life. You should do that. No, she just sits and holds the space. Right. And that's what kaphas are really good at. Again, earth is holding. But the shadow side of that is sometimes when you're holding so much space, you're not speaking your emotions of what's going out. And that's a problem Oprah has been very vocal about, that she's been a yes person. Yes, yes to everyone. But then sometimes that makes her say no to herself a lot of the time, and she really had to draw that boundary. So that's what Kafas really came here to learn how to do. Do you feel like you could look at society or an area of the world or the world in general and also give them a personality type? Like, can you also like bird's eye view it as well? Of course. Yeah. So like, I mean, globally, we're going through a major pitta imbalance, which is 
all the heat and inflammation going on internally, as is the microcosm, so is the macrocosm, is happening as a nation and as a global atmosphere right now. So that's why we're experiencing war and gun violence and chaos and greed, because really we're all just too inflamed. There's road rage. And when one person has road rage, that puts you on edge. And then the next interaction, it creates this like domino effect. Whereas some countries, I'll give Bhutan as an example, very kapha and peaceful and, you know, connected to earth. They save their forests. Costa Rica would be a good example. Vata, I think of like Europe, you know, it's very like art and creative yeah. and that sort of energy. And that's what they value there. Now, do you feel like because of that, like, can you also, if someone has an imbalance, can they move somewhere to help their balance? Are there certain people people should be interacting with mm-hmm. to help their balance? Like, and then also spiritually, what can people do? Yeah. So I wouldn't say like moving is like the first option you should I go know, that to. Probably shouldn't have been what yeah, I went with. but you could. <laughs> Pick up your stuff and go. I mean, there are certain climates. I just you go meant to. like, can you get affected by it? Absolutely. Like, can it actually shift your balance? Yeah. So we're born with something called our prakriti, which is our natural born constitution, which is like the DNA you were born with. And then you have your vikriti, which is what you have going on now. So let's say you were born primarily vata, secondarily pitta, lastly kapha. But let's say you. I don't know, your boyfriend breaks up with you, you start eating a lot of ice cream, you start gaining weight, you start to stay home more, you start becoming this kapha that you're not. So you start displaying all of the kapha imbalances. So what you'd have to treat is your kapha. It doesn't matter what your prakriti is. You're always treating the dosha that is out of balance. That's so interesting. So it does evolve constantly with you. And like anything in life, you're constantly going for the balance. Exactly. So for environment, as an example, like here in California, Southern California in summer, it's pitta, it's hot, it's dry. We're in a city. Whereas if you go to London, it's kind of always kapha weather there. It's cold and it's and it's wet. So, for example, pittas would do really well in London. You need to counterbalance yourself. When I go to London. I feel too cold all the time because I'm so vata. So it's good to go to the places where you finally feel comfortable. And then what about so spiritually? Like you've obviously like part of your work isn't just Ayurveda. You've become like, a, you know, a spiritual influencer and leader. And mm-hmm. so you do so much. How do you feel like your spirituality has evolved and changed as as you've been studying Ayurveda. Mm, yes. Yeah, I think that one, it's allowed me to see that there's no one size fits all for anything for your meditation practice, for your spiritual practice, for what you believe in. It's and it needs to again come intuitively. And sometimes we like, for example, with my um, fiance thinking he needs to meditate twice a day, I was like, I should do that too. Like, that's the right thing to do. It just doesn't work for me. And actually me doing that would have been my demise because it would have been bringing me back into the mind, which is the opposite of what I need. Right. So I think also spiritually, like, The doshas are one small part of Ayurveda. We could talk about the koshas, which are the layers outside of your body. The chakras come from Ayurveda. The gunas are sub-qualities. So I talk about them all in in, in the book, but I think the doshas are a really good entry point. And then you realize, whoa, there's so much language to the things that I'm already experiencing. And do you feel like, has, has your look on how you treat yourself spiritually changed at all? Like, do you have a different practice than you used to have? Yeah. I mean, is it constantly evolving? It's constantly evolving. Um, you know, again, I don't feel like I'm like this Ayurveda purist and it has to be like that. I will, for me, anything can be a spiritual practice. It could be me going to a hip hop show. It could be me walking my dog. Like I'm, I so think spirituality exists in everything we do. And if we like define it to like, this is the corner of spirituality and nothing else can be here, then it creates duality, which is what we're trying to run away from. So I infuse spirituality in everything I do. When I get into a hard situation, when I meet someone who triggers me, when I feel rubbed the wrong way, when I feel confused, sad, like that's actually where the practice is. Absolutely. Do you feel like you can look back at your life and there's a moment where you felt like you started actually feeling like you've clicked into where you're supposed to be? Yes. There was a turning point moment that I can recall. And it was when I had gone back from India, from Bali, and I was like on this like high, but my relationship with my parents was really bad because they're like, you need to get a regular job. And like, (laughs) what are you doing? Like, and again, they so did not believe in this. They actually thought I was crazy because I would be like, I communicate with spirits this and I'm like not hiding it anymore. And I remember my dad like screaming at me and then saying, you're a loser. You're a failure. You're not my daughter. I want nothing to do with you. And I realized that my like thing growing up was always like to please my parents to like bring home a good grade to do this to do that to make them happy but hearing that of like I want nothing to do with you gave me the utmost Freedom. freedom to be like listen 
I've already, I'm already a failure in their mind. So I'm just going to live life on my own. And that became the switch of like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to be me. But let's talk about that because that's so interesting. Basically, they cut the strings and then you felt like you could actually just do whatever it was you really needed to do without exactly. having to think it with layers. Exactly. So are, are there, is there any advice you'd be able to give to someone who you can tell is like, feeling stuck or not understanding where they are? Like, is there anything you could tell? Like you had that moment. Is there any way someone can do it for themselves? Yeah. I think that the universe is constantly giving us these reminders and we just don't take them. So, you know, karma has many definitions, 16 definitions, but one of them is bounded action of the universe. So let's say you're on the wrong path and it starts as like a little tap and then it turns into a punch and then it turns into a slap in the face and then it turns into your parents saying they want nothing to do with you. And then it could have gotten worse if I had continued to try. So I'm we're such a believer in that. I yes. say it all the time. The so, universe will put some nasty shit in front of you if you're not listening. Exactly. To it. So I think we all are already. It's not even something that we have to go out and seek to create and go on a retreat to go do. We're already getting the signs. We already know it could look like a frustration. Every time this person texts you, you're getting frustrated. It could look like every time you're driving to work, you're praying to God, you get into a car accident so you don't have to go or whatever it is that you're actually doing every day that you've normalized, those are the signs from the universe for you to take action. So what do you feel like people, I mean, a should is not the right word, but I don't know how else to say it, but what do you think people should be feeling so that they understand, oh wait, that's not what I'm feeling. So this is something I should be paying attention to. Yes. Because I feel like we say it all the time. It's so easy. And I'm pretty decent at like feeling those signs too, but some people really struggle and you and I it's hard for me to watch them because I'm like oh I wish they could see that and if they could see it I know that they would shift so quickly so like how can we help them hear it and see it so I remember after I met Deepak Chopra and long story short I basically saw him at a conference I walked up to him and that's how that happened and Suddenly, I have this guy writing the forward of my book, and he also wrote the forward of my last book, Amazing. too. Amazing. I mean. Um, so suddenly, my life had trajectory had massively changed, and things were going so well. And again, the mental voice was like, things are going to get really shitty soon, Sara. Like, don't get used to this. So I remember he did a Facebook Live on, like, synchronicity and serendipity, and he talked about me on there. I was like, what the hell is happening? So I email him, and I'm like, hey, Mr. Chopra, just wondering, you mentioned life is supposed to go synchronicity, but is that balanced by a period of inertia? Like, do things only go good for a certain amount of time, but the universe has to balance it again with like stagnancy? And he's like, Sahara, if life isn't always moving this fast, then something's wrong. And that just opened my eyes to like, oh my God, you're supposed to constantly feel in the state of flow and doors opening and meeting the right people and having that conversation, you taking you somewhere else. That's actually how life was meant to live be lived. So if we're not, if we're feeling stagnant, if we feel like, if you feel like you're at the same place today than you were last year, then there are things that need to be shifting because this earth is moving, the planets are moving, the universe is moving. And if we're not moving with them, we're actually moving behind. I, I love all of that. And I think that is such a great way to say it. And it is so true. I always tell people, like, I like to travel a lot by myself and people always ask me why. And I'm like, because for me, it's refueling, it's getting back in touch. And I always say, and I'm never more connected to, I mean, universe, let's just use that to the universe or myself as I am there, because I really do just like, I just get in it. And I try and explain to people, it's like anything I think basically happens in that moment. Mm -hmm. Anything I want to sign for comes like anyone I meet instantly. We have like an amazing conversation and connection. Yes, There's literally like a vibration happening over my body from the minute I wake up till I go to sleep. It's one of the most beautiful feelings. And it's hard to explain to people that mm-hmm. sounding super cheesy, but it is all about, I'm in it. Like, that's what yeah. I always say. I'm in it. And for me, like, unfortunately, I always say I have to go like on a vacation to fully get there. And my goal, goal always is how can I keep working on myself and what can I bring in so I can get closer to having that every day? Exactly. Um, but it is true. And I think some people have never even experienced anything like it. And I think you're right. If you're not experiencing anything like that ever, it's time to make some changes. Absolutely. And the word for that in Sanskrit is called Kriya. Kriya means effortless flow. So it's sort of like when you're on cruise control going towards your dharma. Dharma is like your divine purpose, the reason you incarnated here. So it's like, imagine Dharma is at the end of the road and you're like on the highway and no one's driving. You're just cruising down towards Dharma and you feel tingles and you're meeting the right people and everything's in flow. But then something over here is like, Hey, you can make a lot of money selling real estate. Why don't you come over here? And you're like, Oh, okay. You start shifting the car and the barriers of the road. Again, they start to block you and then it gets worse. And then you're you end up somewhere else and you're miserable the whole time. So most of us are living in karma when we are meant to live in Korea. So I, I, that's so true too. And what I also like about what you were just saying about the balance before, 
Um, I do think most of us are programmed to think because life is about like equations. We're very mathematical. It all has to balance out on both sides. You know, just physically things have to balance out visually when you're decorating or anything. You want it balance. Everything feels like we've been taught balance, balance, balance. It's such an interesting way to let go of that as far as the positive and negative in your life. Exactly. And I think it takes you making action. It's not going to come of you just meditating and having a vision board. You have to take action towards that. And I feel like that's where the manifestation stuff, it stops. Well, that's where I think the spirit hacking happens. Like, right. I, like I, I, it drives me the spiritual bypass we like to talk about right. a lot of times where, I mean, it's probably a better word than spirit hacking, but yeah. like the spiritual bypass, We I want to shake people sometimes because especially they come into the den and they're like, well, aren't I cured? Like, yeah. can I fix? And it's like, no, they're we're like, help- where's my Maserati? Yeah, Just like, no, we're giving you it. the tools yeah. <laughs> and we're teaching you and like, we're helping you get there. But like, ultimately, like we all have to do our own work, no matter where you are, what you're going after in life, whether it is on the spiritual side or just literally a brick and mortar building a house, you got to put one brick on top of the other. So yes. like, I always find that's such an interesting thing with spirituality. People feel like, if I just start it, or like you said, if I do this vision board, it's going to all happen. Yeah. If I go to sleep at night and think like I'm going to meet the lover of my life, he's going to come. And they don't do the work behind it or actually dig into the deep stuff because it's hard. I exactly. mean, it's not always easy to face our own shit. Exactly. Yes. And, you know, again, like we don't and I think a big thing of what I've learned, it's like going out and reaching out to people like none of this would have happened if it wasn't for human connection. I think a lot of times in spirituality, we go so inward, so by myself, but really the only way that you're going to meet new people and get into these new situations is to reach out to people. So if you're like liking people's stuff on Instagram, just send them a DM be like, Hey, do you want to meet for coffee next week? Like actually meet people one-on-one in person. I swear just that will change your life more than anything else. So th- I love that you're the one saying this because let's go back to you being a kid. You were again, the person who kind of stayed a little bit on your own. Exactly. So when you feel like that switch happened for you, where not only you started doing that, but you also started to realize like, per, like, I guess for me, I'm saying people label themselves so much like yeah. introvert, shy, and this and that, that they end up living within their own walls. Exactly. So how, when did you realize like these walls actually don't exist, even though I love being by myself and I enjoy being by myself and I am an introvert, I don't need these walls. Exactly. When I realized that everything that ever has happened to me has come through a connection with another person every single thing, whether it's my book being published, whether it's speaking anywhere, whether anything that's ever come, let's say Chandresh, mutual friend. How did I get connected with him? Through another friend who I got, you know, if you don't make these connections, nothing will happen. And if you just go back in your own life and think of everything good that's happening for you, your job, your spouse, your kids, whatever, it's always come through someone else. And it's like the proof is in the pudding right there. And if you want to keep creating that for yourself, you have to keep reaching out to more people. It's so interesting. A guy reached out who I used to work with a long time ago and he's going through a divorce. And I think he was just fascinated with the den and wanted to talk about meditation. And one of the things he said, and he's a writer um, and writers um, I'm with one can be depressives and introverts mm-hmm. and a little bit on the negative side. And he said the most fascinating thing, yes, the meditation has really helped him, but he's actually, he's like, I actually sit down and have conversations with people now. He's like, I'm actually talking to my guy friends and asking them questions about their lives, which for me is hilarious because that's, I love that. That actually fuels me is actually connecting with someone and having a conversation. Mm -hmm. But I know a lot of people because of my old world like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it is so interesting for some people, they get in such a habit of not talking to people that it almost, again, it becomes their self-definition and they feel like talking to someone is either, it's just not them or it's a waste of time or now they're going to be pretending to be someone they're not. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad because you're right, it, it opens up pathways and you don't even know what energy is going to come in. Absolutely. I mean, each person is like reading a thousand books and you know, the book, like now that I've written books, I see like in a book, it's like, it's so edited and specific information. You're going to get great knowledge out of it, but it's not the same as connecting with a human. So you feel like each person, no matter who they are or who what they are, they, are, they have less lessons to teach you. And how, like, so lessons, because lessons for some people are just huge stumbling blocks. Mm -hmm. So how can you get someone to look at a huge stumbling block and realize it's a lesson? So, okay, let's give an example of, okay, I guess people give this example up, like we keep dating the same guy over and over again. It's like the same personality, but in a different human suit. Well, what is the lesson that keeps showing up? Maybe it's they all keep cheating on you. Well, what's going on in your self-worth that you keep attracting people and the situation that you are not worthy of being in this monogamous partnership, if that's what you want, of course. So we keep learning the same lesson and we'll keep showing up in different ways. Another one could be Let's say you are an introvert and people keep coming up to you. They keep wanting to talk to you and you're like, I don't get it. I don't want people to talk to me. Why do these people want to be my friend? And 
you have a conversation with that one person and, you know, there's some book, I forget what it is. And it's this guy, he like built a cabin and like lived by himself and he wanted nothing to do with people. And then one person's like, Hey, can I just like come and meditate with you? And then soon other people came, they ended up building a massive meditation (laughs) center around him. And he, it was like the opposite of what he wanted, but it was exactly exactly what he needed. needed. Yeah. That's incredible. What do you feel like? Cause I think one of the things you talked a lot about here, which I love is you're very big on, it's not one spirituality for all, not one type of meditation, not one type of diet. So, but how do you deal with that within, let's say, Ayurveda, where it is doshas, you are given a type. So how do you reconcile that? It's like you are kind of given a label in some shape or form. Yeah. So we'll start with kapha. So kapha, and we didn't talk about the body, but again, when you take on a lot of energy in your life, you take on energy somatically, soma in the body. So kaphas often tend to gain weight. They have a hard time losing weight. They hold on to things, hold on to memories, water. They get puffy. They get bloated. They get sinus issues, phlegm, hypothyroidism. So all of these things are related. So for them, their spiritual practice, as well as their food, as well as everything else would be stimulation. So for them, it would be good to do like shamanic shaking or like go to a vinyasa yoga class or go to a dance meditation, do something that's going to stimulate and move the body because again, there's stagnancy. So you need to literally just shake it out. Then in the body, it's stimulating foods like spices and herbs and bitter foods, things again that are going to get your saliva going and stimulate more acid and and digestive processes in your body. Whereas a pitta, who's already really fiery, they're the person who's front and center at the yoga class doing a handstand like the (laughs) whole time. Then they go to Barry's boot camp after, and then they're like pounding smoothies and avocado toast in between. And well, that's the opposite of what they need. So their spiritual practice should look like cooling and cleansing and letting go. And pitta's lessons are trust and surrender which is really hard for them because they want to control. And they feel like, well, every time I've controlled things, it's worked out. But they don't fully step up into the most expansive versions of themselves by operating from this level. So for them, a meditation and spiritual practice could be ease, surrender, you know, just like a maybe a sound journey or breath work or something like that where you're just out of the control and you're fully immersed in the experience. It's so interesting. I love that you're saying this because I feel like people – evolve and they start to realize this more about themselves. Like I used to definitely be the person who was like, I want to go spinning. I need to run. I do love running and all those things. But then I went through a phase, like I almost stopped doing everything, which I did for a while too, because I was like, oh, all I want, it has, it has to be very nurturing. I remember just naturally feeling that, like, I just need to nurture myself. So whether it is like a sound bath or quiet meditation or a stretching, like for a while, I was like, I just want to stretch and meditate. And that's it. Like, Mm -hmm. don't make me break a sweat. And it was interesting. It was just this innate thing in me. That's like, I need to switch it up. Because that's what your body needed. There was already too much fire. Bringing yourself to the point of sweat is the opposite. Whereas a kapha who doesn't want to sweat, doesn't want to go to the gym, that's the person who should be doing those practices. And then a vata, naturally, they're going to be like, I'm just going to do whatever I want today. I don't really need to define anything. But what could really be good for them is like something that's going to ground them. So let's say doing a meditation practice on the earth, literally connected to the earth's energy or doing something that they're very deeply connected to their root chakra, maybe like really deep belly breaths and like really connecting to the body because they're like, I want to astral project and channel source. (laughs) And it's like, woo, really airy and up here, but they need to just like be in their vessels. And then in terms of food, they need grounding foods. If you could go back and talk to that little girl who was clearly like hurt and struggling, like what would you say now? Is there any Mm -hmm. advice you'd give someone who like, if you were looking like, oh God, I live that same path. I've been there. What would you say to that kid like on the playground without it being creepy? Yeah, I would (laughs) say like own it. And one day you're going to see that this is your superpower. Because isn't it interesting that when we're younger, we're doing everything to fit in, like everything to get rid of that weird stew smell and those clothes or any habits that we have or culture that might make us stand out. And then we're struggling. I mean, we're having these conversations for a reason because people are so struggling to get back to who they are innately because yes. we've all shed so much of it in order to fit in. And now we're spending so much of our adult life trying to like reclaim it and figure out who the fuck we are. Right. And I just find it so fascinating. Like you've obviously gone through this journey and you're, I don't want to say you're you're the exact same human being, Mm -hmm. but you're in touch with yourself and owning it, like Mm -hmm. you said, in a way that was really difficult for you back then. Mm -hmm. 
And I just find it such a, it's such a beautiful and inspiring story. And I think it is a reminder for anyone who still feels like they're in there, like they're not comfortable with being themselves and they're trying to fit in. Like, remember, it's all part of who you are and it just brings you to somewhere beautiful. And I think what Ayurveda, it seems like everything you keep saying to me is these aren't labels that get you stuck. It's just a guide for those of us who are having trouble even understanding like who we are and what's best for us. Like it starts you on the path of like you were saying, like this is how you can balance yourself. This is the food that's going to just make you feel better. Exactly. These are the exercises that are going to be great for you. Mm -hmm. And giving yourself permission to change too. Because again, we're like, this is what I do. This is my meditation practice. This is what I eat. But it's evolving through your age, through the seasons, through your menstrual cycle. All of these things are also going to show up for you. So we can try and hold on to anything, but that's not the way the world works. So just kind of let go and go with the flow, huh? Yeah, and just, you know, in Ayurveda, it's like you see your body, your body is like a pendulum and there's one balance and one out of balance. So the more balanced you are, the more naturally the pendulum is going to shift to that direction. So you won't need to worry about it. You can just say, hey, body, what do you want to eat? And maybe it's dinner and it wants a piece of fruit and that's all it wants. And maybe it's the breakfast and it wants something bigger and you can just listen. But when you're so out of balance, you don't have that conversation going. So that's when you should read the books and maybe you have to go out of your comfort zone. You know, when you have, when you're drinking coffee every day, your body's saying coffee is what I want, but that's when you have to shift the pendulum towards balance. You may have an uncomfortable first week, but when the body has shifted, it becomes natural. This is what I love about you because you're not you're clearly a genius and a pro at what you do, but you don't hold on to it so tightly. And I think that is such... Well, that's letting go of what Ayurveda is. It's a living, breathing science that's always changed. But I think that's so beautiful because as we know, people, it's like struggle with that too. It's like you start to get stuck in your own box no matter who you are Mm -hmm. because we live and breathe what we quote unquote sell. And I just think there's something so beautiful about how you do let it go with the flow. It's amazing. I mean, thank you for sharing everything with us. Thank you. actually lead us through her personal practice, which is a lovely meditation that connects you to the three doshas. Namaste. My name is Sahara Rose, and I am so excited to guide you through this meditation to become in touch with your three doshas or energy types. I invite you to take a comfortable seat wherever you are. If you are driving, keep your eyes open, of course, but if you're in a safe place at home or in a parked car, then I invite you to close your eyes. And just take a few moments to tap in. Notice your breath without changing it. Notice your shoulders. Notice your neck. Notice any facial expressions on your face. Any gripping in your eyebrows. Anything on your mouth. And allowing yourself to fully sink into your seat. I want you to begin to notice where the bottom of your body touches the chair beneath you. Feel the warmness, the coldness, the texture, any movement. Fully connect to the sensations on your seat. Imagine you are gluing your body to that seat. Allowing your body to feel heavier and heavier. I want you to begin to imagine roots coming out of your seat into the chair below you. Long roots like a tree connecting your legs, 
your bottom, your knees, your feet, everything down to the earth. Allowing these roots to grow deeper and deeper. And with these roots, I want you to drink up the energy of the earth. Fueling and nourishing your body. Feel the sturdiness within you. The heaviness. The grounding. Feel yourself anchored. Planted. Rooted. And notice your relationship with that sensation. Whether it feels natural and comfortable. Or whether you feel some resistance and try to move away from it. Without judgment, just notice. Bring your energy now and your awareness towards your solar plexus, your digestive system, your stomach, your agni, internal fire. You can place one hand on your stomach if that helps you become more aware. And I want you to feel your stomach rise and fall with each breath. Fully breathing into this powerhouse your engine, your fuel tank. Envision a burning fire coming from your midsection, fueling you up with energy and vitality, courage, strength, knowledge, perseverance. Feel this fire raise and move through your body, through your heart, through your shoulders, through your arms, bringing up your temperature. And pay attention to this fire. How does it make your body feel? Warm supported, alive, or bothered and frustrated and resistant. Without judgment, just simply observe. Now move your awareness up towards your third eye. Bring all of your attention to the space between your eyebrows. Bringing the breath up towards the head. Breathing deeper, lighter, cooler. Cooling down this fire you created with flowing air. Now, I want you to imagine the space behind your third eye where your brain is. And imagine there's nothing there. Complete emptiness. Hollow. Anytime a thought comes up, imagine it like a cloud flowing in and out of your mind. 
complete space. Possibilities. Imagine the top of your head like a cone open to just receiving information and intuitive awareness. Imagine yourself as a conduit for the universal source energy. And every time you feel a thought coming, let it float by and continue to open that third eye. And just notice your relationship with that sensation whether it feels free and expansive and light and like your highest self, or whether it feels unrealistic and disconnected and out of touch. And just observe. Your connection with the first meditation, the roots firmly planting into the earth, is your connection with the kapha dosha, the earth dosha. Your relationship with the fire, the agni burning brightly within you, is your relationship with the pitta, the fire dosha. And your relationship with the air and the space that moved through you like clouds is your relationship with vata, the air wind, the airy dosha. So with that awareness, simply move forward in your day, cultivating the dosha that felt the most out of reach and out of touch. And find the foods and lifestyle and meditation practices to cultivate that energy that already exists inside of you. Namaste. Then Talks is produced by Michael Burke, Mike Burns, Reem Edan, Nicole Rappi, and music by Alex Fetter.